We're down to verse number 9. Just sitting there looking at this verse, and of course it's not the first time I've looked at it. I uh, always try to prepare uh, naturally for any message, but it starts out speaking about ointment and perfume and... uh, says, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. Uh, so doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. And uh, I looked at those first few words, and the first thing that came to my mind was all of this oils. That's, uh, everybody's selling oils, and you got an oil for everything. If you, uh, I'm, not, I'm not going to debate whether those oils are effective or not. My, my wife's got a box of them. My daughter's got a box of them. And everybody does. But uh, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't really enjoy smelling like wintergreen or something all day long. And, yeah, they, they said, let me put that on your neck. And I, I did one time, and boy, I, all night long and all the next day, all I could smell was that wintergreen. I almost rather, almost rather had the pain, but uh, anyway, back to the study now. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, and so doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. You know, uh, it seems like every verse in this in this chapter really deserves a a message all to itself, and naturally we don't have time to do that. But here's another example of what I'm talking about because this is really uh, not just a wonderful passage uh, in that it speaks about the blessedness of friendship, uh, you know, and the joy that friends bring and the uh, and the profit of having, uh, you know, a friend that gives you wise counsel, but uh, but the practical value of this, because a lot of times, you know, I think we we forget about uh, wh- how valuable a, a good friend is, and uh, whenever I talk about practical value, and you look at this and look at it in the context, especially of history, the way that People did things back then according to their, their customs. We live in a day where there's not a lot of thought given to good manners. Uh, Jennifer's talking about school and trying to deal with these kids in school. And, uh, you, you know, you've got to feel sorry for a lot of those kids, no doubt, because of the, the way that they're raised. And uh, it, it's just not like it used to be. I and and it's not just with the kids. I, you know, we see that in every age group, actually. Just a lack of good manners today. It's so common for people to be rude and, uh, and inconsiderate toward one another. And let me tell you, that's not the way that it ought to be. In ancient times, for example, the, there, there was uh, a great emphasis placed upon uh, on having a guest in the home, you know, whether it was someone that was traveling through and you were showing them hospitality or whether it was a friend that had been invited, it was someone that was considered to be a guest there in the home. And I, I often, often think about the qualifications for deacons and pastors, you know, and 
one of those being that they must show hospitality. And that that's almost a forgotten thing nowadays. Hospitality, really? Uh, so many people hardly even recognize the the meaning of the word. But in those days, back, I'm talking about in Bible days, uh, when a guest came by, they did everything possible to make them as comfortable as they possibly could. And keep in mind, in that part of the world, uh, the heat was intense. I was reading, I turned the computer on a day or two ago and, uh, I don't even know which one it is. Mike would know, but uh, the one it's set on the home page, and it comes up, and it's got always oh, got this picture of some place in the world. Anybody else on that? Where it comes on, you have to sign in, and 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 it looks so unique uh, that I clicked on it. It was talking about a desert over, uh, over uh, I forgot what desert it was now, and the heat there and the difficulties. And showed all those little grass shacks that people lived in out there exposed to the heat. And, and I thought to myself, you know, here we in America live in homes and air conditioned, you know. Well, wow, how blessed we are to have it like it is, thinking about, you know, a good part of the world don't have it that way. Well, back then they didn't. Now, I haven't forgotten where we're at. We're going to make the point here in just a minute. We're talking about uh, showing consideration for other people. And, uh, and, and in those days, perfumes and spices, uh, roses and things like that were used in order to, uh, to uh, as we would maybe use aftershave or perfume nowadays. I read one little excerpt out of an old history book regarding this matter. Bible customs, and it, it said perfumes prepared from spices, roses, and aromatic plants were employed. Rooms were fumigated. Persons were sprinkled with rose water, and incense was applied to the face and the beard. Now, you know, we look at that and we think, you know, you have a guest over and he comes in, you start sprinkling him down with some kind of, <laughs> you know, but you got to got to keep in mind it was different back then. Yeah, it's kind of hard to imagine. I wouldn't try that if I was you. You know, kind of like buying somebody a stick of deodorant for their birthday. Uh, that's not a very good idea. But the the whole point was it was expected back then that you do whatever you could to make people as comfortable as they possibly could be. Now all of that appeal to the senses and and the point is they were trying to not just make things as pleasant as possible but the whole idea was to show concern for the other person and let me tell you that is something needed regardless of whether you're talking about 2,000 years ago or today showing concern for other people now here's the point he says Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, just as that would be a means of refreshment and an expression of your concern for the person that's there visiting with you. Notice, so doth the sweetness of a man's friend. But notice, notice how this happens by hearty counsel. The sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. 
Now, whenever somebody that you know loves you, and whether they are trying to correct you, uh, whether they're trying to warn you, or whether they're trying to just give you some advice, you, you know, and I'm not talking about needless criticism now. I'm not talking about being one of those people who's always got a better idea and, you know, you think you've got to impose that on everybody else. Uh, most people don't appreciate that for uh, a little bit. But we're talking about people that would give you good, sound advice. Uh, those kind of people are a real blessing. And, you know, the thing I've noticed that if you have a friend that is really wise and really loving they have a way of giving you some good advice and wise counsel without it even sounding like that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, just during the course of the conversation and whenever you go away, it's like, you know, wow, I got something out of that. And so we need to think about that because we need to think about not just being on the receiving end of those kind of blessings. We need to think about being on the giving end of those kind of blessings. You know, it's a wonderful thing when somebody is a blessing to you and they, whatever they do, whether they're sprinkling rose water on you or, or whether they're just, you know, uh, giving you some wise counsel. And just as that's a blessing to you, you need to be that kind of a blessing to somebody else. And sadly, a lot of people, you know, all they want to do is take, 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 take. Uh, they expect everybody to be a blessing to them. They don't want to be a blessing to anyone else. But the Bible says if a man's going to have friends, he must first show himself friendly. So that's our responsibility to do that. Now we move on. Remember, this section of this chapter has been talking about associates, people that, you know, we associate with. Verse number 10, thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not, and neither go into thy brother's house in the day of calamity, for better is a neighbor that is near than a brother far off. Now here he's speaking about obligation to friends, and as I said, some people are always, you know, wanting uh, uh to make new friends, and uh, a lot of times uh, we forget about our old friends. You know that happens a lot with kids, if you, especially you work with teenagers, and 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 it's really bad in school, for example. And boy, one day this is their best friend, and uh, some new kid will move into the into the neighborhood, and all of a sudden that's their best friend, and. And a lot of times they just kind of write the other person off. And, and, you know, sometimes we can be guilty of that. And there's a lot to be said about uh, old friends, people that have proven themselves over a period of time. I mean, they've given evidence. They are a friend that is tried and true. They've proven that they that they care about you. And that's the point, thine own friend. And notice this, I find it interesting, and thy father's friend. In other words, we're talking about a family friend now. That's somebody, you know, might not be your close friend, might be 20 years older than you are, but it's your father's friend. And it's simply talking about here that we ought to treasure our friendships 
and that we ought to be respectful uh, of not just our friends, but even our father's friends. And so probably every person here can think of somebody that was, you know, not your best friend, but it was a family friend and somebody that you cared about. And uh, so he's simply letting us know that we're not to forsake people, neglect people uh, like that. Don't put them on the back burner, as somebody might say. Uh, but, you know, let them know you love them, you appreciate them, and you're there to help them. Now, notice the second part of this, because uh, here this is shows us something about mutual affection. And, and it says here, neither go into thy brother's house in the day of thy calamity. Uh, I, I always think about Jonathan and David whenever I think about close friends. And here is a comparison here between a, a neighbor and a brother. No, no, don't go into the, your brother's house in the day of thy calamity. Uh, you know, there's a proper time to do things and uh, a proper time to avoid doing things. And I remember as a boy, you know, it was just so common that uh, certain friends, you know, might just show up unexpected. You didn't get a phone call or anything. They just showed up. And if it's anywhere near dinner time, you know, why well, you, you got them something to eat. And uh, I can remember very well friends being there and they go into the refrigerator and get them a glass of tea or whatever it was. They didn't ask or anything. They were just that close. And here's a contrast here between a friend and a brother. You know, a lot of times we talk about uh, the the relationship, a blood relationship and what have you. But let me tell you, whenever it gets right down to it, a lot of times we're closer to our friends than we are our blood relationship. You see, one is a matter of circumstances over which you have no control. <laughs> Uh, you didn't choose your family. You were born into your family. But when it comes to your friends, that's not a matter of circumstances. That's a matter of choice. It's a choice that you make. And uh, thank God for those that we can depend upon in our day of calamity. And a, a lot of times they're, you know, more helpful and more accommodating than than even our own brothers, our own family. Verse 11, My son, be wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him that reproacheth me. This is teaching something here that we all know, and that is that the child's conduct affects the parent's reputation. Uh, it used to be so very common about, you know, dads especially warning their children, especially the son, you better not do anything to bring shame on our family name. Now, I, think it, I think it would be good if we'd bring back some of those old common practices of, you know, taking pride in the family name. But I, I think I could say without exception, at some point in time, every kid has done something to bring shame and reproach upon their, upon their parents. And he says, my son, be wise. Make my heart glad, notice, that I may answer him that reproacheth me. And a lot of times a wayward or rebellious child gives cause for complaint 
from other people, and uh, it, it has a way of affecting what people think about your your parents even. And a wise child, a caring child, is is going to do what they can to not bring shame upon their parents. That that ought to mean something to us to live in such a way that we please our parents. Notice he's talking about make my heart glad. That ought to be your mission. That doesn't mean that you agree with your parents on everything. It doesn't mean your parents are right about everything. But it means that you ought to live in such a way so as to bring gladness to their heart, pleasure to their life. My son, be wise. This is an indication of wisdom. And make my heart glad that I may answer him that reproacheth me. Verse 12, a prudent man, that is somebody that is wise and insightful, a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple, that word simple has to do with somebody that usually is young, but mainly has to do with somebody that is inexperienced or uninformed, but the simple pass on and are punished. Now, that's a repeat of a verse over in chapter 22 that we looked at, and, and because it's repeated here, it bears repeating because God knows we're prone to just walk blindly, headlong into trouble. And... Uh, you know, we none of us can see the future, can we? But we can foresee evil. We can foresee evil because we know from observation and experience, we know that choices have consequences. And, and, and if we'll do what the Bible says, and that is ponder the path of thy feet. I think that's there in chapter 22, in fact. Ponder the path of thy feet. And that word ponder means to weigh, to take into consideration. It, it's kind of like paying attention where you set your foot down. Pay attention to that. And, and, and so we're to, as Paul said over in the book of Ephesians, to walk circumspectly in this world and so we're to be very careful in the manner in which we walk because most of the time we can uh, we can anticipate and and predict what the consequences are going to be whenever we take a a certain course of action and so he says a prudent man foresees the evil i i was talking the other day over here in hebrews about the verse there in chapter, what was it, chapter 6, verse 1, or chapter, the last verse of chapter 5, maybe, where it was talking about having their senses exercised to discern between, between good and between evil. In other words, the statement I made was something to the effect that we need to have a spirit of discernment where we can recognize what is good and what's bad because a lot of people don't have that. They absolutely have a hard time of recognizing what, you know, what's good and what's bad, what's best. And uh, naturally that's going to come as a result of having some knowledge of the Word of God. But uh, but it involves us being on our guard constantly. And you better believe that you don't have to go out here looking for evil. It's going to find you. And that's what he's talking about. 
for seeing the evil. I mean, it's stalking you. It's going to find you. You don't have to go out here and think, well, I think I'll look, find something evil today. It, it's right there in front of you all of the time, and we're all susceptible to that, and that's why we have to be alert. We have to be on our toes at all times. And here it says, the wise person foresees the evil. Now, the simple person, notice, he just ignores all of the warning signs. He walks right into trouble. And, and you've seen people, you might be one of your, one of your children has, uh, repeatedly done that and you scratch your head and wonder and you might even express your concern by saying why'd you do that i remember mom and dad saying those very words to me why'd you do that well i don't know it just seemed like a good thing to do at the time you know i i didn't realize what a stupid thing it was but uh, uh, most all of us heard mom or dad say you ought to know better than that well you know yeah you ought to but sometimes people don't and that's what he's talking about here. Somebody that is wise is going to recognize the evil. They're, you know, they've got their eyes wide open and they're not going to put their foot down in a place that's going to, you know, end up in a, uh, in a trap of some kind that's going to end up ruining their life. But the foolish person just totally ignores all of the warning signs, all of the advice and all of the counsel that friends might give and, uh, they just shove all of that uh, aside. And then later on, later on, and I, I imagine we can all look back and think about some dumb decision that we made and we look back at that and say to ourselves, how could I be so foolish as to do that? We all make those kind of mistakes. But the, the, the key to, uh, to really not just surviving but succeeding is that we learn from those mistakes and don't repeat them over and over and over again. Verse 13, take his garment. Now, here we go with another subject that is that comes up again and again. This is an exact repeat of chapter 20, verse 16. Take his garment that is, that is surety for a stranger and take a pledge of him for a strange woman. Now, it's been quite a while since we covered this verse, so we at least need to comment on it. But it's like I, I said before and have often repeated is that you can't help some people by helping them. And this is a good example of it. And that's why the Bible repeatedly warns us about the danger in becoming a surety for somebody else. And and maybe you remember me telling the story about co-signing a a note for my best friend, and uh, well, uh, it ended up he didn't pay. Uh, well, when he didn't pay, they started knocking on my door wanting their money. And and, and you better be prepared to pay whenever you, uh, whenever you co-sign a note for somebody. And, and here he's talking about that if you're going to, if you're going to do that, he says, take his garment that is surety for a stranger. This is so, you know, we're, we're talking about somebody here that, you know, hasn't proven themselves, somebody that is a stranger to you or whatever. And, and he's just simply saying here that, uh, 
you, you better have some means of security to cover the indebtedness. That's why he said, take, take his garment. Uh, and that way, you know, you've got something of value in case he doesn't carry through on his end of the deal. You know, some people might read that and think it seems so unchristian to do something like that. My answer is always the same. Let me tell you, you have a responsibility to your family ahead ahead of everybody else, your family and your friends and God's people. And, you know, you drive down any street and find panhandlers out here and and you know, some people say, "Well, you know, don't you feel sorry for them? Don't you think you ought to contribute to them?" I'll contribute to them just as soon as I get through helping all of the people I know and love. I don't have enough money to give everybody out there something. I'm sorry if that sounds cold-hearted to you, but I don't know them. You don't know them. The chances are really good that they're going to go out here, walk across the street to a liquor store, and get some booze, or you know, uh, buy, buy a joint of marijuana or something with it. And I, I know there are exceptional circumstances where we, you know, might feel led of the Lord to respond to the needs of a person like that. But basically, uh, you know, it's not, not our place to, to do that. And so whenever it comes to this matter here of, uh, being surety for somebody, uh, you better make, sure that you you know take measures so you can cover yourself and protect your family now notice here just in a couple more comments and we might get to verse number 14 uh i read a an article some time ago was talking about this same matter and and this was from the old public commentary written years and years ago and it said if a man is so weak and foolish as to become security for anyone and is unable to make good his engaged payment, let him lose his garment which the creditor would seize. His imprudence must bring its own punishment. And the second part of this verse here is evidently speaking about, you know, a man who keeps company with strange women and the need of securing a pledge from him. In other words, and you, you see people like that, that, that have no credibility. People like that, that have, you know, no, no morals. They're loose in their living and so forth. You don't have any reason to believe that they're going to fulfill their obligations. So again, if you're going to help somebody like that, you better cover all of your bases and protect yourself as a result of it because they've, they've got no record of being a responsible person. Now, verse number 14, he that uh, that blesseth his friend with a loud voice. I love this verse. Uh, Rising early in the morning, it shall be a curse to him. Now, here we go back to where we started talking about common courtesy. And it's get this now, it's telling us that even praise might not be appropriate early in the morning. Amen? Yeah. I, Solomon said over in Ecclesiastes, you know, he talked about there's a time for this and a time for that and so forth. There's a time for everything. And now, a good thing at the wrong time can be a bad thing. 
You know, somebody, I, I, I've read so many biographies of the old timey preachers years ago, and, and I'll never forget reading some of them and talking about, uh, like, you know, one would say, I never considered starting a day without spending two hours in prayer, or I've, I've read some that spent four hours in prayer, uh, every morning. I, I don't know about them, but man, I gotta have breakfast before then. I gotta have a cup of coffee. I'm all for having prayer and maybe spending 30 minutes or something just as soon as I get out of bed, you know. In fact, I spend more than that. I spend a couple of hours, uh, just in the Bible and getting morning manna out and some things like that. But, but let, let, let me tell you that <laughs> your wife or your kids are not going to appreciate you you know, being in the other room and lifting your hands in prayer and singing Amazing Grace so loud that everybody in the house can hear it. That's just not appropriate. We need to be more considerate than that. And so I think that's the whole point of that. Even whenever you're praising the Lord, there ought to be a matter of consideration shown for other people. And even the time of day is something that ought to be taken into consideration. Well, one more verse, and then we'll wrap it up. Verse number 15, and here again is a verse that uh, we've had several different times, maybe in a little bit different way. It says, a continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. And, and so here again is talking about a leak in the roof of a, of a dwelling. And uh, the point is that contention produces misery that you can't hide. I'll never forget going deer hunting many years ago. And uh, somebody knew somebody that had this old cabin. I mean, it was an old cabin. It was about to fall down. I, I, and I got to tell you, I'd rather just, I'd rather sleep out around a campfire than I wood in some places I've slept in, got rat infested places and everything. And But anyway, this had an old tin roof on it. Everybody likes, oh, I love to hear the sound of rain on an old tin roof. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't. I like it as quiet as I can possibly get it. But even the, even the rain itself isn't so bad. But I mean, there must have been 40, 11 different leaks in that old tin roof. And you couldn't hardly find a dry spot in the cabin. Everywhere you'd go, there's water leaking in. And, uh, so that, that's, makes for a pretty miserable night. And th- this is the point, he says, and, and so is a contentious woman. Uh, remember the other verse that talks about better to dwell on the rooftop than it is in the house with a contentious woman. And I'm sure the women would, uh, uh, you know, say, and the same thing's true of a contentious man. Uh, you know, regardless of whether the contention is caused by the woman or the man right now and to me, and I think even to this verse isn't really the point, it's just contention, period. That's, it's just an awful thing. It really is. Whether you're talking about a family or a church, and you know, as a pastor of a church, and there's no church in the world I love more than this church, and it's where God put me, and unless he does something or the church runs me off, I plan on dying here. And I told somebody the other day, talked about, 
you know, being born and raised up in the Ozarks and what have you. But I said, I'm going to be buried in Texas. I don't have any plans of going anywhere. This is home for the rest of my life. And, uh, you, you know, and, and uh, naturally you love being where you know that God has placed you. But the older you get, uh, the less you, uh, you like contention. And I'm so glad in this church, and boy, we're not perfect. It doesn't have a perfect pastor. If it does, it'd be Brother Kenneth, because it's not me. I'll guarantee you that. We don't have any perfect people in the church. But thank God, we're not fussing and fighting all of the time. And boy, that just you just can't have a spirit of worship in a church where there's contention. And uh, so you, you'll never know how proud I am being the pastor of this church and knowing the, the, the greatness of the love that people here have one for another. And it's not, it's not phony. It's not fake. It is, it's as real as it can be. And, uh, and I, I thank God for it. And I, I hope it's the same way in your home as it is in the church. Well, we're going to stop there. Lord willing, we'll pick up in verse number 16 next week and uh, with some more practical advice that we'll talk about. All right. Anybody have?